brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. Ian Scotto here, Jack Murphy is here, and on with us, because we haven't had him on in a couple months, Alex Hollings. The last time I saw you was SHOT Show, which we'll get into, um, and we haven't had you on the podcast you know, since prior to then. Yeah, I'm glad to be back, man. Thanks for having me back on. Anytime, dude. I, I just figured it was a while. The, the audience wanted to hear from you. They also wanted to hear an update on the Old Man Fitness column, so we'll get into that. Um, first thing I wanted to get to, though, we had an email sent to softrep.radio at softrep.com. Uh, and this was kind of more of a question for me, which, uh, you know, I figured I'll answer. Uh, so someone might have brought this up before, but I detect strong influences in the Softrep podcast theme song to Harold Faltmeyer's Top Gun theme song. And let me jump in there. Uh, it's it's him as well as Steve Stevens who does the sick guitar work on the Top Gun theme. Uh, am I right or am I drunk? Please fulfill my curiosity. Uh, and that is from Chris Hodgen. Uh, absolutely, Chris. So here's the thing. I was using the Top Gun theme as an outro, and then at a certain point I started to think, all right, I don't want to get flagged for this. We might as well, uh, with how far that we've gone on this podcast, get some original music. Uh, my friend John Burns is just an amazing guitar player. So I flat out said to him, like, can you create something that sounds somewhat similar to the um, to the Top Gun theme? And he said he could. So I figured I would, um, you know, go with that. He sent it to me, and it's fucking awesome. I think it's a great theme. So I will plug John on that note if uh, if you like his work, uh, johnburnsband.com, and that's spelled uh, John B Y R N E S band.com. His music um, that he typically does is actually a little bit more bluesy than something like that, but he does stuff of uh, all different styles. Um, anyway, with that out of the way, uh, before we get into like what you're working on, Alex, I figured we'd get like your first hand account of Shot Show going for the first time um, just the other month. Yeah, man, Sacho was, I think it was everything I expected it to be, both the good and the bad of it. It was a blast, you know. Uh, first and foremost, I had a blast meeting some of the readers at the software party that we had during Shot Show. It's, it was a surreal experience for me to get to meet a stranger who knew my name and had, you know, read my work. I, I live here in the woods of Georgia, so, you know, like we were talking about before we came on air, the Internet is still a fairly new thing here. <laughs> You know, so when I tell people that I work from home on the internet, no one knows what what I'm talking about. You know, it's so funny and, uh, that you say that awesome. though, because I I said this prior, but I, I mean for the audience, it's funny. I know there's a lot of crossover with this audience and Joe Rogan, and I've heard Joe Rogan say before that the way he put it, he was like, "There's no stupid parts of the country anymore," and he was saying like, "I travel from comedy club to comedy club 
from you know the Midwest to, to the coasts, and he's like, people are in the know about the same stuff because of the internet. But what you're saying seems to conflict with that a little bit. You know, I think it has to do with demographic. I bet you Joe Rogan's demo, you know, the same as Safra's demo, uh, they're, they're pretty savvy. You know, yeah. they're on their, the internet, otherwise they're not listening to a podcast or going to our website. But when you're talking about guys like my next-door neighbor whose name is Grizzly, <laughs> uh, like, you know, he, he still lives in the same house that he grew up in, you know, when his mother passed, she left it to him. Like 40 or 50 years ago, he had plumbing put into the house, you know, He's that type of guy, and he does have the internet on his phone, though he doesn't quite understand what that means. And he has zero interest whatsoever in owning a computer. You know, and I think that there's, there are a lot of those people still out there, you know, guys of the older generation that just, they're not really all that interested in what's going on in the rest of the world because they have their own little world here, and they're focused on that. And, you know, not a bad thing, but a very different, you know, and there's a lot of those people in Georgia. Yeah, that's funny because I... I could tell you uh, last year I went to South Dakota and I felt like, all right, these people are not that much different from me. It was a great time. But um, anyway, back back to SHOT Show and your experience of it um, beyond just like the team room party. What did you think of, uh, you know, the stuff that you actually saw on the floor? I know I know you're a big gun guy. Yeah, you know, I come from a very different perspective, I think, than a lot of the guys that go to SHOT Show. I'm a very budget-oriented shooter. You know, I love my guns. I love my gear, but my wife will yell at me if I spend too much money. You know, I've got, I, I only have so much money per month that I can allocate to getting new neat stuff. So when I see something that costs a thousand dollars, it's almost always a no right off the bat. And shot show is full of a lot of stuff that costs a thousand dollars or more, especially having a new see. kid. I should add in there like that probably factors into that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, like, don't get me wrong. There are, it's awesome if you can afford to have a big pile of thousand dollar a piece equipment sitting in your office or your basement that you want to gear up and go patrol your personal compound. If you can afford to do that, you're cool. And I'd love to hang out with you, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I'm not that guy, you know? So when I walked through and I'm like, wow, this Kevlar helmet looks remarkably like the one I wore in the Marine Corps five years ago, but this one costs $6,000. So it must be better, but it's hard for me to get that excited about it. But it is awesome to get to go and experience the culture, I guess, of it. You know, a bunch of like-minded people with similar interests. You know, everyone was very friendly. It was a, it was a very positive environment, even if a lot of the gear maybe wasn't to my taste, you know. So I'm going to ask you then the same thing I asked Phil Avanti on the last episode, who was at SHOT Show. Like, what did you see in particular, if anything, that, that really stood out to you? Well, one thing that was really cool uh, was like this self-propelled, I mean, it was like a Batman grappling gun, you know, uh, it would, it was an electronic motor that could pull up. I think it was something like 600 pounds. Oh, you know, I missed that. that. Could, it, it was really cool. They actually, they let me harness up and go up to the ceiling of the main floor. I saw a picture show. of that. Yeah. You know, it was fun. However, uh, once I got back down to the ground, I was like, so what contracts do you guys have? You know, I, I'm sure you have some. And they were like, yeah, we're contracted to a lot of Tier 1 special operations units. And I was like, okay, well, which ones? Mostly China. And I was like, oh, well, then I'm not actually interested in covering <laughs> this product. <I'm> so, <laughs> like, I'd be much more interested in talking to one of the good guys. Uh, but it was an awesome piece of gear. It really was. From what they told me, there's a competitor uh, uh, team that has a similar unit in our Tier 1 soft units. 
Uh, it, it was super cool, though, and that's the the big takeaway I got from it is I felt like Batman, and that's really all that I asked. <laughs> is, that's the best-case scenario for me. But a, a lot of the other stuff that was awesome, uh, like Marines are probably familiar with ISMITs. I'm not sure if the ISMIT was – if it's the same acronym or if they use that in the Army, Jax, maybe you could tell me. Uh, it's like a virtual shooting simulator. Uh, not that I'm aware of. In the Marine Corps, we had it, especially when I was training reservists. And uh, I have to assume it's more cost-effective to put them in the trainer than it is to get them out of the range all the time. But it was terrible. You know, it was it was a really bad piece of equipment that, you know, you point the rifle six inches to the left on the screen of where you want it to hit. You know, you couldn't really put a lot of different variables into play, like wind and stuff like that. It was an unrealistic representation of shooting. But we put guys in there all the time. Because we thought it was better to get, I guess, unrealistic training than none at all. Uh, when I was at SHOT, there was another system. I wish I could remember the, the name of it. But uh, it could run off of a commercial laptop. You could put all kinds of variables in it from wind speed and direction to different types of weather to different shooting scenarios. What was really cool about it is that it came with a battery pack teaser that you wore on your belt. So as you're firing, when people fire back at you, it would tase you. And they could control the duration of the tase how much it hurt, things like that. So it really gave you this sense that you were firing under duress. <laughs> Some and, uh, negative it, it reinforcement. Awesome. Was... Say again? Some negative reinforcement. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you, if you weren't responding fast enough, <coughs> you would start to get a shock. And if you continue to not respond fast enough, the shock would grow. It was, it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. That's what's cool about conventions. You know, I've been to a bunch of car ones in a past life. What I always like to see is the new technology that – maybe isn't out there yet, but we can expect to see in the next couple of years. You know, I mean, the technology exists, but it's not cost effective at this point, but it will be soon. And, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, but nothing on the level of, um, remember when we were talking about Sophic Jack and, and the Iron Man suit, like there's nothing like that currently, you know, going to be on the market. But then again, that would also be just military grade stuff, which is not what SHOT Show is. But I thought that was the most you know, impressive thing I heard that, about was the Iron Man suit. Oh, uh, the, the which one? components of an Iron Man suit. Well, we talked about it on the show. There. I just there's a couple different ones. Yeah, I don't remember the the actual name, but I mean that's pretty cool. And you're not going to see anything like that at Shot Show, though. The um, very are, different. Are you guys, you're talking about the Talos. Yes, that, that's exactly. So what I'm talking about. Yeah, yes. the Talos yeah. suit. Yep. Yeah, that I would have liked to have seen. Um, anyway, I would have been more interested in that and seeing another another you know plate carrier, to be honest. But you know, it was still cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting into what you've been working on, I I know very little about this, and I don't think Jack is completely in the know either. So I just want to hear about it from you. You were saying that there's some interesting response from the Department of Defense regarding UFOs, and I want to hear all about that. It's actually, so the whole story gets kind of weird and convoluted. This UFO story is where kind of the tinfoil hat portion of the Internet meets the legitimate journalism portion of the Internet, <laughs> which makes it complicated sometimes to really root out the truth. Uh, but, but what we do know for sure is that up until very recently and probably ongoing, the Pentagon actually has been devoting a fair amount of funds to studying military reports uh, unidentified flying objects, right? But it's important that we create a distinction right here to keep the tinfoil hats off. When we say unidentified flying objects, we don't mean alien spacecraft. Uh, in my opinion, I'd love to believe there's aliens here. I'm really not sold on that prospect. 
So when we say unidentified flying objects, we're really talking about what may well be advanced military aircraft. You know, uh, particularly if we see it flying in American airspace, we need to be concerned because if China or Russia are fielding some kind of aircraft with maneuverability that we can't match or stealth capabilities that we can't match, that's a real concern from a national defense standpoint, you know? So it makes sense that they're studying these things. The New York Times broke that they really have, I believe the program was called uh, the Advanced Aerial Phenomenon Aviation Threat Identification Program, something along those lines. Uh, It was run by a former MI guy, military intelligence, named Luis Elizondo. Uh, And they, they did throw a lot of money at this, but it's not that much money in terms of defense spending. But about $22 million over That's the span of seven years. Oh, okay, over the span of yeah. seven years. Not really. Though. Yeah. yeah. You know, so most of what they were able to do was, I mean, you'd call that a shoestring budget as far yeah. as most Pentagon investigations are concerned. You know, well, it started in 2007. And most of what they would do is they would piggyback on other DOD investigations uh, that, that revolved around these mysterious sightings. Uh, one really prominent one that was released by Elizondo was uh, two Navy FA-18 Hornets who uh, were sent to intercept uh, a UFO uh, that was off the coast of San Diego. They were directed that way by, I think it was a, a local cruiser. Uh, that was, he called them up on the radio and asked if they were carrying armaments. They, weren't, they were carrying dummy missiles uh, that you would normally fly with just to get an understanding of how your aircraft will respond to that weight on your wings, things like that. Uh, they tried to intercept this. They had a lot of trouble doing it. Uh, they recorded it all with a FLIR camera, and they released that uh, just recently. It was declassified. Now, I'm not going to tell you that, that those are aliens, nor am I going to tell you that it was maybe a manned aircraft. Uh, but what it was was interesting and disconcerting, you know, that uh, these – I mean, these are supersonic-capable fighters. They weren't able to keep up with the radar signature. Uh, it disappeared from radar, and then they weren't able to keep up with it visually. You know, it's an interesting phenomenon, whether it's ball lightning, which is a naturally occurring phenomenon, or a drone aircraft, or, you know, honestly, something as simple as, you know, uh, some kind of a cyber warfare technique that you would use to put radar signatures uh, on somebody's scope, you know, just to distract them. There's a lot of things it could be most of which are not aliens. Uh, but it's interesting, though, that we don't understand what it is. And uh, The U.S. Navy isn't the only one. The Chilean Navy two years ago released a video that was clear footage that they, they, according to them, studied for two years and couldn't understand what it was. So they released it publicly and said, can you guys, can anybody, you know, give us a hint as to what this is? You know, and uh, I, I think it's especially interesting when you see, like, these military clear camera footage uh, just because it, it gives you a good sense of what a weird thing this is in the sky. Uh, you know, in both cases, it's just kind of like a, a bright smudge. In one case, it released like what looked like, I guess, some kind of an exhaust plume. Uh, it, it makes you realize, okay, so there's a physical thing out there that they're not able to identify. Maybe somebody can, but they're not willing to. I get excited because this all sounds to me like prototype aircraft. You know, when I grew up knowing that we had some kind of a secret you know, stealth fighter, which was the F-117, uh, you know, and hearing about the B-2 spirit, but never really seeing one. You know, my, my wife's cousin was a B-2 pilot. He's uh, a lot older than we are. And uh, she grew up with, like, legends of this B-2 aircraft, you know. And that's what I think that we might be seeing in some of these UFO sightings today is maybe the B-21 Raider, you know, maybe an SR-72 prototype, 
there, it would seem to me that there are aircraft in the sky right now that we haven't disclosed, maybe because they're not operational or declassified yet, but there could be something floating around out there, and that's exciting to me, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. You wonder, you know, sooner or later, someone's going to snap a picture of them. I'm, you know, if it has to do like an emergency landing in a civilian airport or something like that. I mean, if it's not just a natural phenomena, if it is actually, a, you know, an experimental or, you know, top secret aircraft. Yeah, you know, and that's an important distinction to make because, I mean, I, I recently ran a, an article on SoftRep where I took a map that was created by, you know, one of these tinfoil hat website databases where anybody can go in, report seeing a UFO in the sky, and then it'll put a little pin, you know, on the, on the map of America of where these UFO sightings take place. And what I did was I overlaid that with a map of U.S. military installations. And, uh, you know, there's bunches when you look at the map. There's UFO sightings bunches, and they almost always correlate with military installations. And I think that explains a lot. It's not that these are necessarily all secret aircraft flying around. It's that people aren't that good at identifying military aircraft and the way they behave. It's different than commercial traffic. Especially at night. I'm sorry? Especially at night. Oh, yeah, especially at night. You know, I'm as guilty of that as anybody. I, you know, I live right near Dahlonega, where uh, the Rangers do a lot of training. And there's a lot of helicopter traffic around here. And at night, when you see three low-flying helicopters in the distance, like coming up over the little mountain in the woods that I live on, it looks crazy. <laughs> Even when I'm like, oh, that's definitely helicopters. I still sit out there and stare. You know, it, it looks weird. They don't behave like commercial aircraft. They fly lower. You know, they, they take different changes in their trajectory. You know, whereas commercial aircraft, you see them up high, they follow one straight line more often than not. Military helicopters, on the other hand, might all turn right suddenly, you know? And what you see in the sky is a triangle of lights that suddenly made a really dramatic turn, you know? It's, it's easy to make these mistakes. It's not because anybody wants to be, you know, a UFO hunter. Maybe some of them do. But a lot of them are just like, man, what the heck was that? Uh, you know, a good example, there was a, a huge... Uh, Air Force operation, I want to say in December, where uh, on Twitter all of a sudden everybody was posting videos and pictures of something that looked similar to the Phoenix Lights, which is a pretty famous UFO sighting from the 90s. Uh, It looked like a giant boomerang in the sky, uh, flying east to west, heading out towards the west. It turned out it was actually a huge formation of something like 17 C or the 20 C-17s and 30 C-130s that were all heading out west. Uh, for one joint operation. <laughs> Holy but, shit. But, you know, when you see something like that in the night sky, you think the sky's falling, you know? Uh, really, really cool stuff. So it's fun to track the UFO trends because they almost always lead to a really cool story about real guys doing real stuff, sometimes advanced stuff that we can't hear about today. Uh, but, but it's always cool to try to find that tidbit, you know? I mean... A good example of that also would be uh, in Siberia, there's been a lot of UFO sightings uh, that are just huge bright lights in the sky. And if you ask me, what they probably were were test launches of the Sarmat, the RS-28 Sarmat, the Satan II ICBM. Uh, You saw SpaceX's rockets. When the first stage and the second stage separate, they sometimes create like this big aurora in the sky. You know, it it looks like a portal or a vortex. And I have a sneaking suspicion that that's exactly what we saw in Siberia, was the first stage of the Sarmat separating from the second and creating this aurora. But because Russia is not going to announce that they're testing their new ICBM, you know, what you're left with is a bunch of questions on Twitter and on Instagram and these really neat pictures. 
And, you know, Russia's, you know, notoriously closed-lipped when it comes to these things. They never announce anything until after it's been a success. You know, so, so you really won't know in a lot of these cases. But, uh, but I do think 99.99% of these cases are explainable if you had, you know, a high enough security clearance in whatever nation it was that you were operating in. Uh, because I really do think, like, uh, there was another sighting near Seattle a few months ago that uh, appeared on radar and then didn't. Uh, the National Guard, the Air National Guard, actually scrambled F-15s to intercept. They had a visual confirmation on something in the distance uh, after it fell off radar. I'd be willing to bet Northern California area, that was an experimental draw. You know, and uh, what better way to test it than to let some Air National Guard guys go and try to hunt it down? You know, I... Again, there's no way I could tell you for sure that it wasn't aliens, but there's no way I could tell you for sure that it was. Well, I would be willing to believe it was a drone. Just based on, you know, what you're able to glean um, through, you know, open source research, uh, what kind of experimental aircraft do you think the United States government might be playing around with? Some, you know, some of the more cutting edge stuff that perhaps we haven't heard about yet. The two that I'm the most excited about are the SR-72, which are... I'm sure everybody's familiar with the SR-71. It still holds the record as the fastest military aircraft that's ever right. taken to the skies. You know, the SR-71 was an incredible aircraft. You know, it was, it was a touchy one. You know, it really didn't... It was a lot like a Hayabusa for the motorcycle guys out there. A Hayabusa is not all that manageable at, like, traffic speeds. You know, it's a big, heavy, lunky motorcycle that doesn't maneuver real well. But at 200 miles an hour, a Hayabusa, it's like going through butter. Uh, the SS-71 was very similar. It was tough to manage until you had it right in your low-Earth orbit and going Mach 3, and that's when it really came into its own. It's a legendary aircraft. We haven't had anything that could even touch it since. Lockheed and, uh, and Boeing are now competing for a contract to create a successor to the SR-71 that's been dubbed the SR-72 that's going to use scramjet technology combined with stealth. Scramjets are going to be a game changer for military aviation because they're capable of, instead of supersonic speeds, they're capable of hypersonic, which is. I mean, they were looking at that for rockets too, weren't they? Absolutely. Uh, Especially China and Russia both are already starting to field anti ship missiles. Yeah, so called like hyper velocity missiles or something. Absolutely. This is one of the missiles that Putin was talking about in his recent speech that's got everybody Uh, all flustered. Uh, these, this scramjet technology is pretty indefensible uh, in terms of a missile. They travel so fast, you usually won't be able to identify or track them on their trajectory, and they follow an almost horizontal flight path, which makes our missile defense apparatus next to useless in terms of trying to intercept. They're so fast that you usually won't know they're coming until they've hit you. And uh, the operational range on them is 800 to 1,100 miles in most cases, Our carrier strike groups, the operational range of our aircraft is only about 500. So these these things are game changers in terms of how we conduct warfare because our strike groups are effectively rendered obsolete. We can't get them close enough to Russia or China to launch sorties of aircraft at them because if we do, you know, a Nimitz-class or a Ford-class carrier is a huge target for one of these hypersonic missiles. You know, we're going to have to change the way we fight wars based on this technology. And uh, that's why I think the SR-72 is going to be such a big deal for us, especially you combine, you know, F-35 or F-22 or further advanced stealth technologies with an aircraft that's capable of traveling at Mach 6. 
And, uh, you know, that changes the way we conduct warfare in, in a very real way. I'm, I'm just curious I mean, why, they, oh, why, they, why they'd be going back, um, you know, pursuing, again, this idea of, you know, uh, you know, hyper-velocity or extremely fast-traveling spy plane. I mean, is it because they think the same technology is going to eliminate some of the other methods we have of reconnaissance? That's a great question, because I, would, I don't understand the value of having a hypersonic reconnaissance aircraft when we have such an elaborate satellite infrastructure in place already. Yeah. Uh, I can see there being some value in, you know, having somebody loiter, but an SR-72 wouldn't be able to loiter over an area. You know, you'd have to use it like an SR-71, just faster. You know, it's just going to fly by. The only thing I can imagine is that, uh, I, first of all, I expect it to be a drone, not a manned aircraft, even though they haven't specified. Uh, at that velocity, I'm just not sure how capable a human being would be yeah. of maneuvering, you know. Uh, but I, I have to assume that they intend to arm it. The SR-71 was never armed, you know. It was literally just a reconnaissance aircraft. I have to un- assume the SR-72 would be used for long-distance bombing or things of that nature. Uh, because I, I don't see the value... In terms of the money that we'd have to invest in developing this technology, I don't see the value in terms of reconnaissance. I wonder uh, the if the B twenty one Raiders. It isn't. Oh, I, I was just wondering. I mean, speculating. Do they? I wonder if it's because they think that with some of the laser technologies that you know the Chinese are developing, that they anticipate a lot of our satellites being shot out of orbit. They really do. Uh, I not only shot out of orbit, but I think. Uh, uh, a more immediate threat is jamming. Uh, the, the Chinese already do this occasionally. They'll, they use uh, ground-based lasers that they use to track the position of satellites and debris in orbit, just like every, every military really does. We need to keep track of the debris in orbit to keep track of our satellite infrastructure. Uh, but they've effectively tried to blind some of our comm satellites using these lasers. They haven't been able to do so. We're able to tell when they engage a satellite with a laser. Uh, but the lasers are not powerful enough currently to cause any damage or interference. But it's clear that all they really need to do is turn the volume up on the lasers they have in place to really start causing problems. So the Air Force just announced that they intend to launch a new constellation of GPS satellites that are, that are hardened against this type of thing, literally just because we realize now that our GPS satellite network is, is, is very susceptible to, to interference, to damage. And our military is increasingly reliant on it. You know, I mean, I, I learned land nav the good old-fashioned way with a compass and a map. I'm not confident, though, that I could still do it. The last time I did it was at combat training when I learned it, you know. But you see that uh, news report where they, uh, they were going to start teaching sailors to navigate using the stars again? They've got to, I think, man. I, I, I think that it would be naive and even presumptuous of us to assume that we'll be able to conduct peer or near-peer level warfare and maintain communications with our satellites for guided munitions, for navigation, for communications. I think that if we were to go to war with a nation like China, we have to assume that those assets would be rendered obsolete. Well, Alex, Uh, the the mention of China really transitions well to something else I wanted to get into here. Uh, You wrote a recent piece that actually went up yesterday uh, NASA may be a civilian agency, but China's space program is unquestionably a military endeavor. Um, you write in here that in 2003, China was the third nation to man a mission to space, which the first two were, of course, Russia and the U.S. But uh, as you put here, unlike the United States, which operates NASA as a civilian space agency, 
that often receives military personnel on loan, China's National Space Administration could be better seen as a joint venture between China's military and their Commission on Science, Technology, and, and Industry for the National Defense. So I thought this was a pretty interesting article because, yeah, of course, uh, you look at the space race between Russia and the U.S. It was always tied to the Cold War. It was always tied to some military operation. But from what you're saying, China doesn't even try to hide this. You know, you, you make a great point about the Cold War and the space race. We pretend the space race is about national prestige, and we pretend that it was about advancing science. The Cold War and the space race were one and the same. The space race was just an arm of the Cold War. We were, we were in a race to prove that we could attain the ultimate high ground, which at the time we saw as orbit first and then the moon. You know, once we actually, There's a reason why once we started putting men on the moon, Russia stopped really trying, and so did we. You know, we haven't been back to the moon, yeah. not because the moon landing was faked, but because there's no longer... <laughs> I like how you just threw that in there. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, but so NASA has always been a civilian agency, right, from the get-go. But that's always kind of been a bit of their PR gimmick, you know. Uh, I mean, the early days of NASA, NASA literally became, came into being, I think it was like nine months after Sputnik was in orbit, you know, because we were like, we need to respond in a very real way. It's always been a civilian agency because the American people play a very big role in how NASA is operated in terms of who they vote into office and just kind of the general consensus of the public. If the public doesn't see an interest in space, NASA funding dwindles, you know. It's funny, though, because there's a, there was a huge interest in Elon Musk and the Tesla flying around the orbit with, uh, you know, that being live streamed, which I know you were a huge enthusiast of, uh, Alex, so... I mean, that's certainly some modern-day interest in the space program, even though it's a, that's a private company um, doing what they're doing. You know, I, I love what SpaceX is doing. Uh, I love what Elon Musk is doing. He's making space travel sexy again. Yeah. You know, it's marketable again. Uh, I don't love the idea of relying on private ventures for America's space endeavors. Uh, I think that private ventures, first and foremost, pursue profitability, which is a good thing. Uh, but... You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a, a Faraday. When Faraday first realized that you could produce an electrical charge using magnets, you know, we didn't know what we would need electricity for at the time. So somebody asked him, what good is this? And he said, of what purpose is a newborn babe? He's like, I know I invented this thing or discovered this thing, but I don't know what good it'll do yet. Now it's the basis of every power plant we have in the world, whether it's nuclear, coal, solar, or what have you. Ultimately, it all has to do with what Faraday determined could produce an electrical current using magnets. That's the important part of national-level space endeavors, is that you solve problems that you don't necessarily know what the question will be yet. You know, But we create these advances that lead to advances, and they're very important to do, but a private space venture is going to be less apt to pursue experimental things unless there's a, a real return on investment. Uh, Government-funded ventures don't look for that ROI so much as they look for accomplishing the goal they set, set out to do. I'm a big private enterprise guy. You know, I'm probably pretty libertarian-leaning in my personal politics, but some things I think the government needs to pay for, and I think space is one of them. Well, I, I mean, love private space ventures. NASA, I mean, got us to Mars, and, you know, they've had a spectacular success with the Mars rover. But, I mean, do you th really think that, NASA is, or or let's just say a government space program, are going to be the ones that colonize Mars. I mean, it seems like it's going At to have point, to, no. it's going to be capitalism that's going to conquer Mars. 
No, you're 100% right. I really think that at this point, well, I mean, look at the SLS, which is uh, NASA's new rocket that's been in development hell for years and years. And here's a good chance for me to apologize to NASA because I've written a few op-eds about their delays on the SLS. And just being like, when are you guys going to actually build a rocket again? You know, we've been hitching a ride with the Soviet era mm-hmm. Soyuz capsules out of Russia's Roscosmos. And yeah, our, our tax subtle. dollars are going towards this, so it's a legitimate question. Oh, yeah, we're paying Russia. Yeah, we're paying Russia for trips to the ISS. If you look, you know, if, if I, you look back, like, um, maybe a year or two years ago, there's actually some um, – Congress was having some hearings about this because we buy so many rocket engines from Russia. And they're, you know, asking, you know, is this a potential national security issue for us? Sounds like it. I, I think it's a legitimate thing to consider. I mean, that's the reason why we don't work with China. China doesn't have a spot in the International Space Station because they won't delineate between military applications and civilian applications in their space endeavors. So that's why we won't let them on the ISS. It, it violates, you know, the, the way the law was written when we first started cooperating with Russia. I mean, even now, as tensions with Russia are building, you know, near the Baltics, and again over near North Korea with, you know, Putin's tacit support of Kim Jong-un's regime, we're still cooperating in space. We're still sending American astronauts out there to, to launch up and to be recovered in Siberia, which is, they, they all do, they do hard landings on ground uh, with those Soyuz capsules. Jeez. The Russians actually carry shotguns in their capsules to protect themselves from bears and wildlife before the rescue teams can arrive. <laughs> This is how we're getting to space right now, guys. We went to the moon in 1969, and now we're hitching a ride with, like, a 60-year-old Soviet capsule that's got a fucking sawed-off shotgun in it. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, you know? But uh, so China is now, so right now, actually, China's old space station uh, is on its way to re-enter the Earth. It'll probably re-enter the atmosphere in the next few weeks. Uh, it might actually, parts of the debris might actually land in the United States. Most of it will probably burn up. Uh, but they have another, more advanced space station that's supposed to be operational by 2022. And unlike the American space endeavors, China's usually pretty good about meeting those deadlines. So as the International Space Station funding dwindle, dwindles away, that'll all be gone by 2024 under current models. China will now be the only nation with a full-time habitable space station in orbit. The only manned presence in orbit after 2024 under current spending models will be Chinese. That's a really big shift in how we're conducting operations. You know, that's a concern of mine because when we, when we think about, like we were saying, how dependent we've grown on our satellite infrastructure, on this constellation of comm and nav satellites we've got up there, if the only human beings in orbit are also one of our primary diplomatic opponents and God help us, hopefully not, but, one day, actual enemies. That's a real concern. You know, we've, we do have some things up in orbit that we don't talk about. The X-37B, you know, is like a drone space shuttle that stays in orbit for hundreds of days at a time. The Air Force won't really say what it is. I have a sneaking suspicion it's used for reconnaissance. You could easily put, an, honestly, all you need to screw up a satellite is an, is an extendable arm that you can just grab it and move it. That's all you really have to do. Uh, we could feasibly use it to screw with other people's satellites, still not convinced that we could use it in any way to stop them from screwing with ours, though. You know, we, uh, I, I forgot who it was. I think it was the general in charge of CENTCOM recently said, China is five years away from operationalizing space in a military yeah. way. The United States, with our current spending platforms, 10 years away at best. Yeah, they stole our technology to get a jump on us. 
and That's now now they're doing they're do. you know they're using it in a more um I don't know if efficient is the word, but they use it, you know, the Chinese culture, you know, emphasizes harmonizing all of these technologies with their culture. And there are some things they just do better than us. This reminds me of I remember when uh, Obama ran for president, one of his campaign promises was we're not going to weaponize space, which actually sounds like a very positive thing. I think to the average American, they're like, that sounds like a ridiculous idea. But then when you hear that's just China getting a jump start ahead on us. Yeah, it's a good idea for sure. I mean, if, if because see, here's the thing: is like with on Earth here here on planet Earth, um, we've already militarized the ground. Yeah. But in space, there's this opportunity. Like maybe we don't have to continue this sort of like security standoff paradigm. Maybe we can you know evolve into something else, uh, like an era of cooperation. And you know, people fantasize about you know like ideas like you see on Star Trek, where it's a uh, spaceship with people from all these different countries working together. I think that's the the fantasy behind it. Um, but will it be the reality? That's a I don't know. What do you think, Alex? I'm a I'm a diehard Star Trek fan, especially TNG. You know, I uh, Patrick Stewart, John Luke Picard. I refer to him as Space Dad in our house because <laughs> he imparts so many important lessons. But it's important to remember that Star Trek works in a fictional universe. In a real one, that's a socialist utopian society. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a post-currency society. It's a post-economy <laughs> society. Uh, they have replicators that just make whatever you want. Star Trek is an awesome idea. We're a long way away from being able to function that way. I think politicians, just like a lot of social media warriors, uh, operate in this idealistic mindset where we shouldn't need guns, we shouldn't need to weaponize space, and we shouldn't need to worry about war with China or another world war. In reality, these are all concerns that we need to have and manage actively. There are real reasons why people carry guns. There are real reasons why space is a strategic and tactical important place. Uh, ideal, ideally, it shouldn't be. We should be able to go out there and compromise and work together the way the United States and Russia has for a long time now. In reality, even that compromise is strategic. My, my ADD is kicking in, but it's reminding me of um, the Star Trek references, reminding me of the episode of South Park where Cartman travels into the future and, and there are no religions. And he's like, but why is all this fighting going on? <laughs> and, and they're like, well, we're the United Atheist Alliance. We're fighting the United Atheist Front. It's <laughs> <laughs> 100% true. Yeah. Totally true. Yeah, because it's, a, you know, it's an anthropology thing more than, than being just, just political or being just religious. You know, it's just like we identify with different groups of people and then we fight one another. It's like we've been doing that since we were, yeah. you know, cavemen which is sad we're big brain monkeys man it's how we're wired you know we're wired to, to gather up into groups and to fear the other whatever the other might be and you know and it's important those that inclination is in my opinion one of the things that led to the development of civilization because we joined we banded together with other guys and no, we're like, well, maybe we'll just plant some food instead of chasing it you know but as soon as you start to have an asset whether it's agriculture or it's a water, you know, a waterway that you gain control of, or it's orbit. As soon as you have an asset that can be leveraged over others, there, there's room for conflict. Yeah, it's it's other, not just human nature, it's nature. The other difference you know? is that, you know, because of technology, our wars are increasingly costly, um, you know, in terms of human lives. We have weapons now that can literally destroy human civilization, you know. And again, in terms of the environment, I mean, don't forget that. 
Well, yeah, of course we'd fuck up the environment too. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, is, I don't care about the environment if we're all dead, <laughs> quite frankly. But it is crazy. I mean, we're we're all on this same planet, and you know that's also why people are looking at space as an alternative to what. Because at a certain point, are we going to destroy this, you know, ball of dirt that we live on with all the weapons? Well, we'll we have, have to expand at some point, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's a scary thought. It really is. And uh, that raises interesting questions about what Jack was saying about the commercial colonization of space. How is that governed or regulated? Right. How do we tell the SpaceX colony on Mars that they have to fall under our rules? You know, it's and whose rule? An who, when you say, when, yeah, when you say, planet. when you say, "R," who is R? Is that America? Uh, uh, is that the point. UN? Who, who who is that? You know, and and it's important to remember again when we're talking about pursuing this Star Trek utopia, human beings are inherently a problem in any system. Every Star Trek movie that you've seen. Uh, for the most part, always involves usually like some kind of encroaching invasive alien species and some asshole in the Federation who thinks <laughs> war is a good idea or thinks that we should be doing... In the Star Trek universe, that guy's always a dick. In real life, that's the guy who saves us. You know, you need to have that, you need to have that guy with a defensive standpoint who's like, I know you guys think the Klingons are rats, but they're all carrying guns. Maybe we should have some, too. And I, I, I recognize that my mindset doesn't lead us to the Star Trek utopia that I like watching with my daughter. Uh, but I do think it keeps us alive long enough to maybe one day get there. I just, and, they, and he what, threw in watching Star Trek with his daughter. Your daughter is, is what, like a month or two old? Does she really enjoy watching Star me. Trek with you? She's already seen like nine seasons. <laughs> <laughs> all the way through the X-Files, seen all the Star Trek episodes. Just to throw it out there, I guess I'm the only non-nerd here because I am not a Star Trek guy or Dungeons and Dragons. Ian I do likes love NASCAR, <laughs> professional sports. Uh, I'm an MMA guy. I certainly am. With uh, no, I know, you know you I'm do. not as not as crazy as Jim West though. Jim knows his shit, but no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm the civilian non-nerd here. I'm a late blossoming nerd because you know, like throughout <laughs> my time in the Marine Corps, you know, I used to compete in MMA for a long time and stuff. Up until I lost an eye last year doing it, not Damn. literally. But, uh, you know, I think that the nerd stuff came later because once I realized that, like, my tough guy resume is complete, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to try to be cool anymore. My wife's probably not going to leave me. I'm just going to go to watching Star Trek. I'm just, <laughs> just going to be this guy now. Like, God forbid if my wife ever leaves me and I have to find a girl that's not willing to be yelled at about Batman, I'll be in a, lot of, I'll be in a tough spot. But for now, it's going well. Um, you know, being a nerd's not so bad. That, you know, the other thing I wanted to get to in terms of uh, things you're in, enthusiastic about, you are also a fitness guy. And I actually did get some tweets and emails saying, like, is Alex going to come on and give, it us, give us an update on his old man fitness column? So, uh, yeah, people are wondering what you've been up to with that. And I know that you write something every week on that, right? You know, I try to. I, what I really try to do is two things with the old man fitness columns. If you're looking for someone to give you a breakdown on what workout to do to make your triceps bigger, the Internet is ripe with them. You know, you don't need that from me. God's honest, I've been working out for a long time. You know, I, I've, I've elapsed personal training certification. I used to work as a trainer. Oh, nice. I was in charge of the, the body composition program for my unit in the Marine Corps, where my job was to try to make the fatties not be fat anymore. Wait, wait, so there's I've fat people of, in the Marines? I'm sorry? Did you say there's fat people in the Marines? Oh man, especially in the reserves, man. There's some. There's some this is dudes. this is like heresy here, Alex. Well, I mean, it's important to note that we throw them out. 
You know, I get a couple of months to try to make them stop being fat. And if I wasn't successful, <laughs> make them they got one way ticket fat. home. That's awesome. <laughs> so, like, you know, and with some of these guys, I mean, sometimes it's just a question of heart. If you're five pounds over, uh, hang out with me. I can make you lose those five pounds today. You know, you'll, you'll need to drink a lot of water after and you'll sleep well tonight. But I can get you within weight today. It's whether or not you're willing to, to do that. You know, when I was fighting, I was walking around at like 210, 215 and fighting at 185. I was very familiar with how horrible it is to cut weight rapidly. But, man, you can do it to keep your job. You know, but uh, some people just aren't that interested. A lot of guys, you know, join, you know, the Marine Corps famously is the toughest branch to get into, uh, not academically, but physically, right? And so a lot of guys who aren't necessarily there physically think that the Marine Corps will will be their black belt. You know, it, I'm going to go join the Marines. I'm going to come back from boot camp and be a whole different guy. I'll be Brock Samson from the Venture Brothers now. <laughs> Turns out you make it through training and you come out, you're the same asshole you were when you left. You know, you're skinnier right now, but now it's on you to maintain that. And some guys just don't have it in them, you know. Um, but, yeah, when it, comes, when it comes to the fitness stuff, the Internet is full of fitness, in my opinion, garbage. Everybody's trying to sell you something or market an idea to you, primarily that to lose weight, you need a fad diet. To gain muscle, you need a fad workout regimen. And if you want to actually accomplish anything, you need to make sure you're posting about it on Instagram constantly. <laughs> These are like the three things that you learn from the Internet. But none of that's true. But aside from all that, you don't actually need to look like one of those Instagram models. Having 3% body fat is not good for you. I'm, I'm a big believer, man. Keep that spare tire. I mean, don't let it get out of control. But if you've got some love handles in play, that's fine, man. Your body needs some fat to operate. You might not look like... You know, Hugh Jackman does in the scenes of Wolverine where he takes his shirt off, but Hugh Jackman doesn't look like that guy either. Yeah. yeah. He looked like that guy for a week. I mean, I have a, a lot of respect for some of my friends who are like power lifters and, and bodybuilders and stuff like that. Because I know Leo Jenkins. I know Jenkins is into that. Well, the, the CrossFit, uh, you know, Olympic. Well, what is it? CrossFit Games. That he's oh, he's, done he's done that? The CrossFit yeah. Games. Well, I mean, those people put a huge amount of work into what they do and like their entire lives revolves around, um, you know, they're so committed to it that their whole lives revolve around, you know, their time in the gym and, and the Eating. meals they eat. Yeah. And I mean, I, I totally respect that, that kind of dedication, but like me personally, when I listen to them talk about what they eat and how they eat the same meal, like six times a day and I'm like, I respect you, but I feel like you're missing out on something in life. Like me personally, I would not want to do that. My wife always says, I don't want to hang out with someone that won't drink a beer with me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and if, if, you're, if your regiment precludes you from having a Bud Light on a Friday night, I just don't think I can get behind it. I respect that you're doing it. I just can't do it. Myself. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember when I was a kid and I used to have um, lizards, like, like I used to have like leopard geckos and stuff like that. I don't know. It's like a weird hobby I had, but uh, there, when you read the books and stuff about like keeping um, reptiles as pets, like, you know, reptiles are, you know, they have like feelings quote unquote too. And you feed them the same stuff all the time. They get bored and they stop eating. So you have to like vary their diet up a little bit. I always, for some reason, my mind always goes <laughs> back to that. It's like as a human being, I can't imagine eating the same thing every day. Yeah. You know, I think some people take to it naturally. Like, you know, I've got sometimes that just walk around with like 5% body fat. Like that's a normal thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And more power to you. But, but that's never going to be me. You know, when I, even when I was fighting, uh, when I was playing football for the Marine Corps, when I was in the best shape of my life, you know, I still had to flex for you to see abs unless I was right in the middle of a cut to make weight. You know, like you could see striations in my muscle fiber in my shoulders. 
but you couldn't necessarily see abs sometimes, you know? It's just everybody's built a little bit differently. And the idea behind Old Man Fitness isn't to make you an Instagram model. It's not to turn you into, you know, those guys that, you know, never drink a beer and measure their meals. Although, you know, if you do meal prep, good on you. But, you know, measure their meals to the gram and stuff like that. The idea behind Old Man Fitness is to just stay in the game, stay functional, you know, stay healthy. And let fitness be what it needs to be for you, which for me, it's a cathartic experience. My workout is therapeutic, you know. I, it's important to me that I'm physically capable of protecting my wife and my daughter. It's important to me that if my car runs out of gas, I can walk three miles to get gas and walk back without that being the worst thing that's ever happened to me, you know. These types of, these types of functional goals are the focus of old man fitness. I'm not trying to get your body fat down to 3% so that you can get followers on Instagram. What I am going to try to tell you is spot reduction is a myth, for instance. You can't lose weight on just your stomach. You don't get to pick where you lose weight from. That's fat stores. Fat stores burn based on your body's internal biology. You know, So whenever someone tries to sell you something that says they'll make your stomach smaller, they're lying to you. You know, That's the sort of thing I want to make sure you know. So that way, when you go and try to start your own fitness regimen, when you try to start eating better, working out and exercising, you understand that, no, this elastic band I bought for $40 isn't going to solve the problem for me. The only thing that can is me. The math is simple. Calories in versus calories burned. When it comes to lifting weights, the math is simple again. More weight, lower reps makes you bigger. Less weight, higher reps makes you smaller and more toned. We all know the math. We just want someone to tell us that there's a miracle way to skip it. And that's really what the, the media has kind of moved towards in the fitness world. It's always the Atkins diet or the paleo diet, or you got to eat like a caveman, even though they all live to be like 22 and die terrible deaths. But we better eat like them because that's how we were designed. All these things are, are not sustainable. You're going to do the paleo diet till you get to your weight that you wanted to get to. Then you're going to go back to eating Twinkies and end up right back where you started. Yeah, Brandon often says the same thing with um, the fitness thing because he we we end up talking about fitness on Power of Thought, and he has said like I'm sure there's a few anomalies, but you don't see too many like 75 year old CrossFitters out there. He's like, but there are guys that age swimming, you know, doing doing some type of physical activity. Yeah, CrossFit is tough on the joints, man. You know, I did a lot of CrossFit in my time. I actually for a little while I've never been a CrossFit guy, but I've worked for some CrossFit guys, you know. And so when you work for them and, you know, you're at company PT, you're going to do CrossFit today. Some parts of CrossFit are awesome and super valuable to add to your workout, I guess, you know, loadout that you might have. Yeah. I do. I'm not a big believer in just CrossFit alone. If you look at guys like Rich Franklin, who won the most fit man on earth in the CrossFit games, I mean, four or five times in a row. If you look at his workouts, he doesn't just go do the CrossFit workout of the day. Some days the CrossFit workout of the day is, do a max weight, one rep deadlift five times. That's it for today. Don't get me wrong. If you do that and manage not to get hurt, you will get stronger. But that's not what makes you the fittest man on earth. That's not what makes you functionally fit. That's just something that some guy put on CrossFit.com today. You know, you, you have to approach fitness the same way that you would approach martial arts. Uh, when I was doing McMap versus when I was doing Pancration versus when I was doing Muay Thai versus BJJ, Some things worked very well for me. Some things just didn't. So what I do is I go, I'm going to take that thing that worked real well. I'm going to work on the thing that didn't until I can find a way to make it work for me. 
But ultimately, it's got to be tailored to me if I intend to use it. Fitness is the same way. Yeah, I'm I agree. not a runner. I suck at running. So I lift. You know, it's got to fit me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's probably good to get some form of cardio in there just for heart health. I mean, I do know people who, who don't do any cardio at all, and you wouldn't think so. They're in amazing shape. Um, but I'm wondering yeah, what's... Yeah, I'm the guy that's on the exercise bike next to the old lady named Gladys. <laughs> watching the view. I haven't been doing a lot of cardio lately because I'm actually trying to put on some weight. But, um, you know, so I was going to possibly run a half marathon again in May. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm enjoying, like, kind of eating more and just not doing much cardio. Um, but I, I do try to throw some in at least, like, once a week. But I was wondering what um, what's, like, the next thing that you're writing for in Old Man Fitness or what's the latest that we're going to see? You know, I couldn't even tell you yet, which is funny because I'm going to write it today. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, a, a Maybe this conversation will spark some uh, ideas. Absolutely. You know, usually what I do on Thursdays when I start thinking about old man fitness, I write it sometime between Thursday and Saturday. And uh, I go on all of my favorite fitness websites and look for the utter bullshit that they're selling you. You know, like, I, I love a lot of these websites. I'm not, I won't name them because I'm saying that they're selling you bullshit. But I love a lot of these websites that are trying to give you tips and pointers on how to get back into shape or get into better shape. Uh, but if you read like a muscle and fitness magazine from cover to cover, you'll find that within the magazine, it'll contradict itself three or four times. Sure. You know, because one trainer will tell you the only way to gain mass is by lifting to failure. And then three pages later, you'll find another guy who tells you the only way to gain mass is if you do five sets of five, uh, regardless of failure. You know, and then you'll flip a few more pages. That, the reason why everybody's got these very different ideas of the only way to succeed are probably because it was the only way they could. Yeah, and there's you also know? a lot of paid content. I think that factors in as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's just like the gun world. I think uh, Jack told me about this a long time ago. But uh, when, you, when, you write, when you run a website that's devoted to firearm and tactical gear reviews, some people get really mad at you if you have a bad opinion of something. You know, like oh, yeah. people are paying for space on your website. You better not say muscle tech sucks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like guys on this, I mean, uh, hydroxy cuts a great example. When I was in the Marine Corps, hydroxy cut was huge, you know, and uh, some Marines died because they figured if I just take 10 of them right now, I'll, end, I'll wake up ripped, mm. you know, and like uh, hydroxy cuts caffeine pills, man. There's other stuff. There's green tea extract and there's uh, this and that. It's just, it's a bunch of caffeine that elevates your heart rate. And that does increase your metabolism. And it also works as an appetite suppressant. But if you think that HydroxyCut or whatever the latest one is, it was Ventrex for a while and then it's, you know, whatever. If you think that that pill is going to solve your problems for you, you're misunderstanding how your body works. You know, it's, uh, it's, your body works just like a car. The difference is, is that if you fill the gas tank on your car and you don't use that gas, it would make your car fatter. That's the big difference. But... You got to use the fuel you put in. That's it's as simple as that. Hydroxy cut might help you burn it a little bit faster, but you still have to use it. You know, creatine's a good example. It's actually one of the few supplements that work. However, if you just take a bunch of creatine and then do the exact same things you've been doing, all you're really doing is taking in a bunch of empty calories. Sure. Creatine benefits you because you can push a little harder, a little longer. If you don't try, you won't do it. And then all you're doing is drinking like a fruit punch milkshake that doesn't taste that good, but added 300 calories to your day, you know? So people, people want things to do the work for them 
ultimately what it comes down to, it's a really simple mechanism, man. Like if you haven't gone for a walk in a long time, don't start with a half marathon, start with a walk. You know, just do something and you'll end up in a better place. That's, I think the biggest fitness myth out there is that you have to do something grandiose to, to get a benefit from it. No, man, just do a little more than you did yesterday. I would, really yeah, I would agree with that. I have a colleague from Sirius XM who like has done very little exercise in his life happened to watch, I guess, a friend in the Boston Marathon, and he was like, that's it, next year I'm running the Boston Marathon. Did a whole podcast about it, and then I caught up with him recently. I'm like, so are you running the Boston Marathon? And he's like, no, I'm not doing it now. And it's like, man, after all that, dude, I was I was disappointed in him. All to that build-up. Yeah, and it's also, p- people need to realize, like, it's a hard fucking thing to do. I'm yeah. pretty decent at cardio. After the half marathon, I was like, that's it. I, like, there's no way I would ever do anything more than that and i bailed out of doing this one um not because i don't think i could do it it's just because like alex was kind of saying my fitness goals right now are different than they were at that time but yeah i agree don't you don't have to have these crazy goals um yeah it's all a learning process and and a lot of the same of what you're saying like you learn what your body reacts to you learn what you get sore from and you know if you're not getting sore you're probably not doing the exercise properly um, or you're not you know, lifting enough weight. And as you get weight. older, you've got, to work, you've got to learn to adjust for injuries, too. You yeah. know, new ones that you maybe did working out because you're old and you're falling apart, and old ones. Like, I, Jack, I bet you your knees are junk, I would imagine, right? Just because of all the things that you've done over the more, years. More, more my back. My, my knees are okay. That's a, another good one. The yeah, lower back is another huge one. So if you are going to start working out right now, throwing 300 pounds on, on the bar and doing deadlifts, is a foolish thing to do, you know, like you really need to start when it comes to managing injuries, form is very important. I am a proponent of cheating on form when you're at the point of failure for some lifts, but that's another conversation. Form is there primarily to keep you safe. Secondarily to maximize the benefit you get from a lift, you know? Uh, But when you're, when you're a guy like me, you know, I've had seven surgeries from my waist down, you know, between 2010 and 2012. Uh, I have to, I can't quite squat the way I used to squat. I can't quite deadlift the way I used to deadlift. I have to make adjustments in the, the amount of weight I use and, and the way that I do it, the way I take breaks. Don't just do what the magazine tells you to do. You know, just like we were saying, figure out what works for you and do that. Because if, it, if it's a horrible experience, you're not going to come back tomorrow. I'll give you one other tip as, as a guy who's maybe not as fit as Alex, but does go to the gym regularly. Uh, and and I think you'll agree with me on this because I've heard of other people talk about this. Like, no one cares or is watching. Like, they don't give a fuck how much you're lifting. If you're, like, a new person in the gym that's that's like, oh, I'm going to look like a pussy if I'm benching, you know, like, 50 pounds. No one gives a shit. Like, start very light, get your form good, and then, you know, slowly but surely go up in weight, go up in reps, you know, in intensity and all that. But yeah, I think too many people who join a gym think everybody is looking well, at it's, them. It's sort and of, no one cares. It's sort of like when you see a fat person running and it's like, well, okay, that's a fat person, but they're running. Yeah, it's and great. I mean, that's great. It's, yeah, moti- it's motivation. Yeah, good for them. I mean, I, I now work out in my basement because I'm a woods hermit, but I <laughs> used to go and work out at the gym. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest dude around. But I'm a you're big you're pretty big, dude, you know? if you're just fishing and, uh, for a compliment yeah. there. <laughs> I'm, fi- I'm fishing for compliments. No, but, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy around, especially when you go to a big gym. I'm like, I'm, I'm a big dude, but there are guys who do this. 
You know, it's like, this is like Jack's saying, this is their life, you know? And, uh, but you know, when you go to like a 24 hour fitness or an anytime fitness and you're a guy my size, you know, I'm like six foot two fifty. I bench like three seventy five. That's People pretty big. People will stop and look at you. <laughs> That's a big, you know, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm not a power lifter. You're not going to see me on TV, but I'm a big guy in normal life. People will stop and look and go, Oh, that guy's moving a bunch of weight. I, on the other hand, when I walk by and I see like a guy Ian size, you know, throwing 250 on the bar, I'm not like, oh, well, let me do the quick math to see how much stronger I am. I do not give a shit about you, Ian. Yeah. I don't care about what you're doing. I don't care about how you look, what outfit you're wearing. I, I never understood the people who, you know, the women who put on makeup and their best Abercrombie outfit to go work out and the guy with gel in his hair. That's not what we're here for, man. Like, uh, I don't know. I do. I do like out. looking at the eye candy when I go to UFC gym. Not gonna lie, because there's quite, there's uh, quite a lot. It, it, <laughs> it makes me self conscious. If there's a hot girl around, I'm self conscious. Oh, the there. Where I, the I, I will say UFC gym where I go, plenty of hot women. Just throwing it out there. I believe it. I, believe <laughs> it. I, I used to work out on campus at Framingham State, and it would be like all these beautiful young women in like brand new outfits, and me and like. A Mount Anthony football 2001 t-shirt with holes in it, just drenched in sweat and trying not to throw up. I was not picking up girls. Well, as you said, it's, it's all about Instagram these days. Like, these people just want to post, like, how fit they are on Instagram. They want to look good. Like, I, I... And actually, I'm cool with that. I am. If that's what motivates you to keep going, you know, to each their own, I'm happy for you. Yeah. That's just not my game. Well, with that, check out the Old Man Fitness column on SoftRep. Um, as a reminder for all of those who are listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to SoftRep TV, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. SoftRep TV's premier show, Training Cell, follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content when you subscribe to SoftRep TV. That's at SoftRepTV.us. For a limited time, it's only $4.99 a month. And if you haven't gotten a chance, check out the SoftRep Crate Club. You're definitely going to want to do that. It's a subscription to get a box of badass tactical and survival gear delivered to your door every month. Here's the kicker. All of the gear is handpicked and tested by former Spec Ops guys, so you know you're getting quality gear that's going to work when you need it to. We've sent in the past uh, multi-tools, custom knives, fire starters, EDC med kits, and you don't just get great gear with that subscription. You're also supporting a veteran-owned and run company, and you can get that gear right now at CrateClub.us. Also, gift options available. That's CrateClub.us. Follow Alex on Twitter, which is at AlexHollings52, on Instagram at Archetype52. Um, and anything else from either of you guys before we wrap this up? I think we covered a lot of ground. I mean, we covered China, space, UFOs, fitness, Star Trek. We covered a lot of bases. <laughs> I'll throw in one more social media plug. Uh, find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash AlexHollingsWriter. All right. Well, that works, man. Thanks for doing this. The people demanded an update, and we delivered. Hey, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, Alex. It's been really cool. Yeah, I don't get to talk to you nearly enough, like in real life person, and not on Facebook. So <laughs> Dude, it's, feel, it's free, feel free to reach out anytime, man. You got it, brother. You got it. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, 
Join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at softrepradio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.